Hello and welcome to the Central Connecticut in a Group podcast. My name is Christina and I'm an alcoholic. My name is Eddie and I'm an alcoholic. And I'm Melissa and I'm an alcoholic. And let's start with the serenity prayer. God, God, God grant, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And so today we have Melissa with us. We're going to start, we're going to do a step series. So the next 12 weeks ish should be all on the steps and so today we're going to do step one and um, we have Melissa here with us if you can tell us a little bit about your story (laughs) sure so um, my name is Melissa and I'm an alcoholic and my date of sobriety is June 19th 1983 and my home group is the Hampton Connecticut early risers meeting on Sunday 7 30 in the morning and uh, sorry, Eddie turned my headphones way way up. I'm oh, sorry. Oh, your headphones. I'm sorry. <laughs> my bad. Continue. <laughs> so um, I, um, you know, my, I I come from both Connecticut and Ohio. So um, I was born in Cincinnati, but um, I I lived half my life in Connecticut and half in Ohio. So my sobriety family is in Ohio and here in Connecticut so um, that's part of it I um, I ended up in Holbrook Hospital when I was 15 years old and um, in the psych ward though I wasn't in the rehab part I was just loony and um, (laughs) and um, I ended up meeting a whole bunch of people in in the rehab part and started going to meetings in that area and Um, ended up living in a girl's home and uh, the group of people that I got sober with were actually a bunch of addicts a bunch of heroin addicts and one of the things they did for me was because I was so young I was like 16 years old and they um, shared their stories with me because I was questioning do I really do I really qualify for as an alcoholic? You know, like, am I really an What does an alcoholic look like? And, um, you know, uh, in my mind, an alcoholic was kind of the skid row or, mm-hmm. you know, falling down drunk and never, never being sober. And usually a man, I didn't, um, I didn't uh, think that, you know, I didn't. I didn't know of any women that were like falling down drunks. Although, you know, maybe TV portrayed it. I don't think I ever really saw that. But mm-hmm. um, I just had a hard time believing that someone my age could be alcoholic or an addict. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just hadn't seen that. Although I probably had, I just didn't recognize it. Mm-hmm. Um, and they shared with me their the horrific parts of their stories and they said that if you know you're on the same road we were on and if you continue down this road you are going to get what you know you're going to experience what we did so they were basically letting me know that it's okay to have a high bottom it's okay to stop now i don't have to continue down that road and um so I took them seriously. I, 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 I don't know that I totally believe them, but I, you know, I was just like, okay, we'll give it a try. And, um, and so I, I borrowed from their stories. I made their stories mine so that I didn't have to continue down that road. Mm-hmm. And, um, 
and and the program worked for me. It did. Uh, it, I didn't know for a long time whether or not it would, but it did. So, yeah, yeah. It, no, that's it's so crazy that you came in at sixteen. Like to me, when I meet people who've been sober since that that age, like I, I I know when I was sixteen, I was just starting, and I mean I was already problematic drinker when I was sixteen. The first time I drank, I blacked out and passed out. The paramedics came and like. That's a long history of me with paramedics coming when I drink, but it wasn't a problem, right? It was it was all the other things to me. It was you know if life was on my terms, then I would be okay. And so, did you struggle like with the the thought, or were you able to recognize that like early on? Like, it was mm, I started when I was twelve. Oh, mm. oh okay. And um, so I had been drinking for about four years. Okay, mm -hmm. so you had and, that history. To oh, yeah. <laughs> and I'm a blackout drinker, and um, I also, I like to say that my drug of cho choice is more, because mm -hmm. um, I, I was a little garbage can. I would use whatever was put in front of me. Mm -hmm. You know, it was just kind of by chance that I didn't do certain drugs. Yeah. It just wasn't there. I get that too. It's like it's whatever was in front of me, or I said I just more. It's more. always more, 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 more. Yeah, like I know now it's like more candy, more brownie, more whatever it is. Whatever. Like, you know, <laughs> anything still. Uh, so, th so you got sober in Ohio? No, I got sober in Westport, Connecticut. Oh, okay. Uh, Westport, yeah. but I had grown. I was born in Ohio. Oh, okay. I moved up here in eighth grade. You know, it wasn't it wasn't fun. <laughs> it wasn't fun. I know that's a tough age to move. Like it I was a tough like. age to move. My dad remarried. Mm -hmm. My stepmother. I don't think she wanted me in the house. Mm -hmm. She was really working hard to get me out of the house. Yeah. I found out after she died of alcoholism mm -hmm. that uh, she, that was her repeating what had happened to her as a young woman. Mm -hmm. That she was apparently kicked out of her own home at an early age. And mm. I had no clue about any of that. I just knew this woman was coming for me. And uh, and that was part of how I ended up in Holbrook because I really shot, thought she was the problem, you know? Um, and so I wanted to kill her or I wanted to kill myself. Mm -hmm. So I was like homicidal and suicidal when I ended up in Holbrook. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's how I ended up on the psych ward rather than in a rehab. but. Yeah, we had a family alcoholism event going on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, step one is we admitted we were powerless over alcohol and that our lives had become unmanageable. So, could you tell us kind of your experience with that? I mean, being at 16 to admit that your life had become unmanageable, what's kind of your relationship with step one at that time? So, uh, you know, every, every time I drank, it was unmanageable because I never knew where I was going to end up and mm -hmm. who I was going to be with and what was going to happen to me. You know, um, as a woman, I definitely put myself in jeopardy when I drink and I'm out of control and I'm not able to, you know, uh, respond well when someone's coming at me, whether it's for a sexual assault or mm -hmm. taking advantage of me or mm -hmm. if I if I'm not if I'm inebriated and out of control of myself, how am I supposed to protect myself and and, you know. You yeah. can't. It's you. You just can't. It's very difficult. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I put myself at risk all the time, and bad things happened. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. and and so many women. I mean, the privilege of being sober for a long time has allowed me to hear so many stories, mm -hmm. because you know I've heard a lot of four steps and fifth steps, and um, uh, you know. Every woman that I've ever really talked to has experienced trauma. Mm -hmm. I've never had a mm -hmm. woman 
get sober that has that you know like they're alcoholic and they haven't experienced trauma i've never met anyone like that mm-hmm. so i'm not saying y'all aren't out there but you know i i personally every single person that i've ever heard their intimate details it's there's trauma involved one way or another mm-hmm. you know because yeah, we tend we tend to put ourselves in less than ideal positions when we are um under the influence or blacked out or something like that, we tend, I said, I'm one of those people too. I put myself not in the most ideal situation when I'm not, I said, you're not you when you're drinking. I stand by that. You know, you're not making right decisions. I'm not putting myself in the right spot. You know what I mean? There's always something going on. I'm not me when I'm drinking and I definitely am more willing to take risky behavior when drinking. Yeah, definitely for me as a woman too, like I was constantly putting myself in those dangerous situations. Like it's just... It, it's that's, it's just a fact, you know. Like if you look at it, the the history of it, like with women, like it just. Sorry, like my, I don't want to get political. Like it just is a fact that women, you know, when we over. Drink when we drink. I don't know what I'm trying to say, but. Like when we drink too much, you know, we kind of put ourselves in these situations where we can't be taken advantage of, and then that leads to trauma, and then those feelings, that like dirty, like shameful feelings, like I let myself get into this situation, and then so then I just drink more because of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's a lot of, you know, and that was one of the things I had a conversation about with my daughter. Mm-hmm. She was heading to college. To my knowledge, she had never drank or drugged mm-hmm. to date, you know, and she was going to be dealing with it in, in college. And we talked about a couple of things. And one of those things that we talked about was be safe. If you're going to drink, be safe, mm-hmm. you know, because there's so many, um, I, I don't even know what to call it anymore. You used to call it date rape, mm-hmm. but it's, I think it's just rape, mm-hmm. you know, when you don't have someone's consent. Yeah. And, um, you know, alcohol makes it very difficult to obtain consent because mm-hmm. if someone's not themselves, mm-hmm. if they're not in, you know, the normal capacity of decision making, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure that the courts would say, you know, yeah, Melissa is not able to sign a particular document when she's completely inebriated because she probably is not in the right state of mind to be able to sign. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. mm-hmm. I don't. It's kind of interesting. That's a, but that's a outside of. I don't know if that's step one or not, but it's certainly unmanageable. Yeah, that's for sure. yeah. <laughs> it like shows it some like... of the unmanageability, right? Putting yeah. ourselves in those situations right. that we're we're constantly doing that. And I said I know it was my life was unmanageable because I was always putting myself in really bad situations. It's amazing that I never, you know, I'd always drink, drive in a car. It's amazing I never got a DUI. It's amazing I never hit and killed anyone. I mean, the joke for my friends was we'd go out to the bar Sunday and then Eddie would have mystery car Monday. <laughs> Because I could never figure out where I parked my car. And if you right. walked in front of my apartment in the morning, I'd be walking left, walking right, like trying to figure out where is my car. Right. You know, and um, that's just one of the situations I made. Right. You know what I mean? I had I had terrible financial issues. I was drinking. I spent all my money. Couldn't pay my bills. I got caught in the um, cycle of payday loans because I didn't. I needed money to pay rent, but I had to pay rent. And then I needed to drink, so I'd have to get more money to get that. And I just constantly taking money out like, oh, I can get a week at a time. I can go pull out more money because I can't mm-hmm. go... Can't go another three days. I'm out of money. I, I mean, I can eat ramen noodles, but I need I need alcohol. Right. And that's the durable wheel, right? Yeah. That's that job that we end up doing when alcohol isn't so fun because we're having to work so hard just to be able to drink. Mm-hmm. You know, that we're, our lives are upended because we can't pay the rent and mm-hmm. we are drinking away everything. Mm-hmm. And at that time, though, that's what you do, right? Like, I don't know how else to live my life, so it's like... 
I didn't, it took me so long to realize how the unmanageability of that, like, I was just like, yeah, this is, like, I'm making it work, like, whatever, I'm being an adult, my bills are paid, like, I don't have issues, even though I'm stressed doing that, drinking, you know what I mean, but I don't see it until, you know, you keep going down the rabbit hole, and then, like I said, it gets worse and worse and worse, and then, mm-hmm. for me, like I said, then, the whole time, I'm like, what, I pay my bills, my life's completely manageable, in the meantime, it's a hot mess, right. and I just don't want to admit that it's a mess. Right. Yeah, the, I, for, for me, the powerlessness was so... Like, I could recognize my life was unmanageable. I knew I would constantly blow my life up. And, like, I knew that it kind of had something to do, possibly, with the substances. And, but the unmanageability, because I was like, no, no, no. Like, I, I can drink. I just can't use these other things. But then once you take the other things out of the situation, like, I drink myself to death. Like, and it, I'm passed out on the couch. I'm not getting up to go to work because I want to stay home and drink because I feel like shit because I didn't go to work. And, like, just that, that cycle. Like, I, I couldn't... I was like, but I need to drink because it makes me feel better. And I couldn't get out of it enough to recognize that if I stopped drinking, like it would, it would probably help. Like it took a long time for me to get there. Well, the idea that if I stop drinking, it'll probably help. I I don't know that I ever got to that thought, Mm -hmm. you know, like that. I don't, I don't even know that I got there. It it was more, I'm in terrible pain Mm -hmm. and I cannot cope with the pain if I'm not anesthetizing somehow. Mm-hmm. So what do I do with the pain? What do I do if I'm not drinking? Mm-hmm. That frightened me. And then I watched, you know, my stepmother and my father, basically, they continued to drink for the 30-plus years that they did, and they both died as a result of their alcoholism. Mm-hmm. And I got sober. My sister got sober. And... You know, so they answered the question for me, and they're functional mm-hmm. alcoholics. Mm-hmm. You know, never had a DUI, never lost a job, and yet they're, my stepmother died of liver cirrhosis. Mm-hmm. My father died, you know, they call it dementia, but it was wet brain. Yep. And it was brought on by um, cardiac issues. He, he, he told me that um, every time he drank, he was having arrhythmias. His heart would go out of rhythm. And he kept testing that theory for like four years and then realized he can't safely drink because his heart would go into arrhythmias. So he got an ablation and then he started, oh, I can drink again. Mm. You know, so it just was really wrecking his cardiovascular system and the cardiovascular system feeds our brain. Mm -hmm. So it, it kind of all is tied together. And, you know, we don't talk about what people actually die of in, in the obituaries, you know. Mm-hmm. We, t- we say, oh, this person died of, you know, they don't even say it. They just, you yeah. know, after a long illness. <laughs> yeah. I love that some of the obituaries are starting to talk about someone, you know, fought a hard battle mm-hmm. against addiction mm-hmm. and that they lost their battle. You know, that it, there's more honesty in some of the obituaries these days. Mm-hmm. It's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because like, it's amazing what we do, right? Like even being functional. I thought I was functional for a long period of time. You know what? I only came into the rooms because, unfortunately, Christina got sober to start, and I still hadn't killed anyone yet, but my argument was she was driving me nuts, so she was getting sober, she was getting help, and I thought she was a problem, because as always, it's never me. I still stay, you know what I mean? It's still something I struggle with. It's still never me, and I still still work on this, and then I go to an AA, I go to an Al-Anon meeting, because she's just, she's sober now, so clearly, I need to know how to deal with this drunk, because she's just ridiculous. (laughs) Right. And I go to an Al-Anon meeting, and I'm drunk and fairly stoned and so i go to the meeting and we're sitting in there and there was just me and another guy and he qualified me while we we're sitting there because he was part he was part of the our fellowship as well yeah and i was all like 
hmm, okay. And so I ended up going. It's like my higher power is funny that way, right? And then that was the only time I, I mean, I couldn't even admit that I was a problem to my first meeting. And I had to sit through there and talk through it and then realize, hmm, maybe I do have a problem. And from there, it still took me like three months to get back to another meeting because I still had to go through that thing of like, I am the problem. My life is unmanageable. I can't drink. Mm. And it took me a long time to see that. Well, it took you less time than other people. It's true. It's true, but it's, <laughs> yeah. it's true. It took, exactly, it's true, but it's just so funny. It, it's the way it works is I still, it's, a, it's never me. I came in, it was <laughs> oh, never yeah, me. Oh, yeah, no, I was never the problem. Never the problem. <laughs> never the problem. I'm the child exactly. in this situation. <laughs> yeah. my, my parents were the problem. Exactly. You, know, you, you people are the adults. Come on. Yep. <laughs> you know. Life is happening to me, and it's not my fault. No, I'm just, not I'm not fault. doing anything wrong to create any right. of these issues around me. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm just wreaking havoc on everything on I touch. everybody mm-hmm. the truth was they and they wouldn't let me back in the house for probably nine years into my sobriety Ooh. you know they no key no invitation no nothing it was you are not coming to our home mm-hmm. um i was hell on wheels i mm-hmm. was not a nice person mm-hmm. at all mm-hmm. um i was very very angry um my sponsor was also very, very angry. They had her title was Fu Noreen, <laughs> <laughs> and she apparently would say Fu to everybody. So, <laughs> you know, it, we, it, I must have related with her at some level. Mm-hmm. I was very, very angry, and I would, I felt like it was my right to punish everybody for mm-hmm. what they had done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that too. Like where. Yeah, like I'm this way because of the things that happened during my childhood from my parents and you guys effed me up. And like, so I felt like I had a right to like punish them the same way. Like I would always constantly scream at my mom and tell her what a crappy mom she was. Now I love her so much and she and I have such a great relationship. But I was, yeah, same way. I don't think they were very happy to have me around. I guess I'm lucky in a way that they were just always willing to support me. But I think they always just wanted me to get better. But yeah, I was so angry and just so mean to them. Like it just... I think there's also like sadness too because then like now the drinking is over and like now how am I going to be happy like I never thought you could be happy without Mm -hmm. drinking Mm -hmm. that was such a foreign concept for me happiness Mm -hmm. it absolutely frightened me when I first experienced it Mm -hmm. it was not comfortable for me at all Mm -hmm. to to have happiness I don't understand how people are come in the room same thing you hear you walk in the rooms people are joyous happy you know what I mean everyone's talking around and the meeting before everyone's happy and something goes coming in it's like how are you people happy mm-hmm. when I first came to it it's like I, I haven't drank like how could you possibly be this happy mm-hmm. like I at least need a drink to be sociable I thought and they were least... all high <laughs> <laughs> I was like they're definitely smoking weed or something <laughs> somebody's medicated in here <laughs> I think that's a common thought yeah. <laughs> for a lot of people they think that somehow we're just not just happy people mm-hmm. and I don't even think I was happy for you know for many 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 years mm-hmm. you know it happiness was you know I I, I our family has a um a, a genetic, it seems to be genetic, it's carrying through the different uh, generations of uh, depression mm-hmm. and possibly some other mental issues in the family. And um, we haven't lost anyone to suicide, but our our children have suicidal ideations mm-hmm. at early ages. I did. Mm-hmm. I had several suicide attempts. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't want to live. And that's part of step one for me, is I didn't want to live for a long, long time. And the guys in the room would tell me, you know, um, you need to pray about that and ask for the 
the obsessive thoughts about suicide to be removed like you do with the obsessive thoughts to drink Mm -hmm. to be removed. And so I used that. um, And I did find it helpful, you know, because I was trying to release those thoughts, Mm -hmm. you know, um, Mm -hmm. trying to surrender those, not not really knowing what I was doing, but, you know, at least I was making those attempts and I did pray that. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, over time, I stopped thinking about killing myself, which for me was the part of the first step, was mm-hmm. um, not taking the actions that I wanted to take, mm-hmm. not getting drunk, not getting high, not, not hurting myself. Mm-hmm. And now there's a whole generation of kids who are cutting, mm-hmm. and it's such a similar drug, I'll call it. Um, and, and I'm dealing with that more and more with some of the young women that I work with. Mm-hmm. And it just, it really tears me up to see that. And I, and I saw it even back when I was in the hospital. There were, there were girls that had cigarette burns on their hands and arms. And, you know, there was definite self-harm occurring. But those, those are things I think go hand in hand with um, alcoholism and addiction. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's always that trying to change how we feel, mm-hmm. you know? And I had no skills at all to deal with my emotions, none, mm-hmm. you know? And uh, step one is just that, that first, those first little baby tentative steps into this process, you know? And whether or not I think it can work for me, I followed the direction mm-hmm. and, and it did work. But I, I really did think I was different from the rest of y'all. Mm-hmm. I did not think it was going to work for me. Mm-hmm. You know, it might work for you guys, but it's probably not going to work for me. But I did take the direction. Mm-hmm. And I followed through with the direction, which was don't drink. Don't drink. Come to meetings mm-hmm. um, and get a sponsor. Mm-hmm. And I did that. I always told step one's the only step you have to do perfectly. That's it. That's it. That's the most important part. You know, that's the one that you can't forget that we're powerless over alcohol or I'm powerless over alcohol. That's the number one thing. No matter how bad everything gets, I have to remember that. Without step one, my whole nothing matters. You know, I have to, well, there's another one in there too. That's important. Step one. Let's go step one's the easiest one that I have to do right. (laughs) But it's like, I have to remember that. Like I said, no matter what, I just can't drink. Don't drink, show up to meetings and it's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. That's the one thing I have done perfectly. I, and, and one of the messages that my sponsor and I both carry is relapse is not a requirement. Mm-hmm. Yes, it can happen. Yes, it can be part of this disease. And yes, if you're looking at it as a disease model, it has a, a specified set of signs and symptoms that mm-hmm. are predictable with the end being death. Mm-hmm. So that's why we can look at it as a disease model. If you're looking at it as that, you know, they talk about relapse being part of it, and it can be, mm-hmm. but it is not a requirement. Mm-hmm. So I have continuous sobriety, and that is the one thing I did right. I did a lot of things wrong. Mm-hmm. I did a lot of things they don't recommend, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. the one thing I did right was I didn't pick up ever. Mm-hmm. And um, it allowed me to make mistakes but I didn't because, I mean, I came close. I came damn close mm-hmm. so many times, you know, um, but I just didn't. Mm-hmm. And um, I didn't know how I was going to get through different situations in my life. Um, but ultimately, I picked up the phone and asked for help, you know, because that's really kind of what step one is all about. It's all about surrendering. Mm-hmm. 
but it's not the end of the surrender. It's just the start. Mm-hmm. So it's so scary to make those phone calls. Like when you're on the verge of like wanting to use and then I don't know, I made a lot of phone calls like that when I didn't want to because it's like they're going to talk me out of it. And it's weird though, like in those phone calls, like I do feel better after. I mean, not every time. There were times that I because it was like that switch went off and I didn't have any kind of foundation under me to help me like continue through the process. It was just, well, that didn't work, you know, and so I'm going to go drink and, you know, and obviously like I'd always end up back in the rooms crying because my life is in shambles again. But when I am willing to surrender and say honestly, like what's going on, why I feel this way and like what to do, like usually I feel so much better after like to have that connection to someone be like, I've been in your shoes and I've wanted to use and like, and I didn't and, and now my life is better, but it's just so hard to make those phone calls when you're it so is. early on. <laughs> well, and everything is catastrophic. Yes. Yeah. You know, like, oh, my boyfriend's breaking up with me. It's the end of life. It mm-hmm. is, is he's so-and-so is talking about me. You know? I had the, I, Eddie got a job because we, we were so poor. God, we were so poor because I had always spent all our money on uh, drugs and alcohol. <laughs> well, we both did, but we you both did. But really at least I went to yeah. work. So Eddie so, got a job <laughs> as a server at a restaurant like that we used to go and drink at, that he used to go and drink at and used to pick up chicks at. And I remember yeah. like it was a catastrophe. I was at a meeting and I was crying. He's going to cheat on me. And all of them were like, he's going to cheat, he's going to cheat. Like, <laughs> not up to you you just need to stay sober and it was like what do you mean if he's gonna cheat he's gonna cheat oh not on me <laughs> like it was just such a like i i remember having that phone call and this one be like let him do it like if he's going to if you don't trust it like it was and you know that was another thing like we had no trust in our relationship at that time to think yeah you would go and cheat on me when i was the one doing it. going back to i was that. just minding my own business over <laughs> here <laughs> going back to decision making when we're drunk exactly right? yeah yeah, exactly. that we don't always make the greatest decisions yeah. when we're drinking. Nope, yeah. Yeah. that's true. Like, we're so impulsive. Like, it's just, yeah, like, you take away the alcohol, but still all those reactions and those feelings and the impulsivity is just still so raw. God, mm-hmm. thought about this that This is a disease of impulsivity. Mm-hmm. This is a disease of impulse. Mm-hmm. You know, all those little tips and tricks are all about stopping in the moment, pausing. Mm-hmm. You know, my sponsor gave me the word pause as my mantra it's probably been my mantra for i don't know at least 10 years now (laughs) she hasn't changed it you know she just wants me to focus on pausing Mm -hmm. because i put my foot in my mouth all the time i get into so much trouble saying (laughs) stupid shit yep (laughs) you know i do i it happens it happens at work it you know I'm a really intelligent person. I have several degrees now, but you'd never know it sometimes. Sometimes I just, oh I'm gosh. often going, oh, my sponsorship ladder, all the guys that I, my group, my network, I was saying is a big joke is do nothing. Because a lot of the times is I just have to do nothing because like I get caught up in this thing and I want to do this and that. And what the real answer is just do nothing because I'm so impulsive, whether it's, I got a new hobby. I want to go buy everything. I want to do no, do nothing. Or like I said, or I'm ready to fire back at someone right away. You know what I mean? And the key is after is do nothing because I'm so impulsive and I'm so ready to go from zero to a hundred on whatever it is. Just that alcoholic mm-hmm. thinking all the time is I'm just ready to dive right in. If I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it a hundred percent. I'm not going to half ass anything. I'm all in all the time. And sometimes the best advice is just to do nothing because a lot of the time if I insert myself, I make whatever the problem is a million times worse. Yeah. I'm struggling today. I'm hitting the microphone. I'm just having one of those days. That's okay. I've been busy. We have a, a leak, leaky faucet, so he's been demoing all morning. Oh, yeah? <laughs> Always a good time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's 
It's always a good time. But those are luxury problems. We have a leaky faucet because you have a house. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. You know, it's true. you have a house, you have a roof over your head. And we're able to repair it. I would have just been like, oh, that's just how my life is now. Right. <laughs> yeah, this leaky faucet. Like, that's just, I would just live with the weirdest things, like a light going out. This is just how it is now. <laughs> I don't know that that changes a whole lot. <laughs> I don't know. If I didn't have a husband, I probably would have just let it go. I have a husband, and my I broke the switch in the bathroom, and I, I couldn't get the light out because it stayed mm. on then. And I called him up, and he looks up at the ceiling, and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> We, uh, we unscrewed the light bulbs. <laughs> That's the temporary fix. We'll see how long it takes to get that fixed. Yeah. <laughs> you know? That's a classic, classic mm-hmm. AA move. Yep, right? this is my life now. This yeah. is it. This is it. So did you do the um, steps through the big book? Like, ah, good question. <laughs> so when I came and I like to say I'm a old young person because, mm-hmm. you know, when I came in, I was 16. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I went to Young People's AA a lot, and it because it, it, when I first came in, I was just like, oh gosh, everybody's old. <laughs> everybody's old. Oh my god, I can't. Yeah, sixteen. Like we oh would be gosh. old, like thirties, twenties. Oh, totally. Yeah. You guys were like ancient, <laughs> ancient. And I now I'm picking up like I have a nineteen-year-old that I've been picking up and taking to meetings, and I'm just like she's like my daughter, you know, like the same age as my daughter, and it's just oh my gosh. And she's older than I was, you know, like mm-hmm. 19 is still three more years older than I was. Mm-hmm. Making a decision at 16 to me is... Yeah. I, I applaud you. That's a tough decision to make. I mean, I, stro- I mean, people, I struggled to make it at my time too, but at 16 to realize, yeah. I said, that's a long haul in front of you, but like I said, I guess a day at a time. It's you know, a day at a time. I honestly never thought I was going to even make a, a week. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, uh, it, I never thought ahead because, mm-hmm. I mean, I just couldn't. Mm-hmm. And I, I just was trying not to live in that pain that Mm -hmm. was really all i i wanted was just not to live in pain Mm -hmm. um but we were talking about that you and i christina we were talking about it uh with our newcomer we took a meeting into a rehab Mm -hmm. recently and um you know we were talking about the different bottoms Mm -hmm. people can have and you know me at 16 not having you know 20 years of hard drinking you know i'm a high bottom I haven't, I have a lot of yets, Mm -hmm. you know, and, um, you know, getting arrested, you know, drunk driving, drunk driving. I've never driven drunk Mm. because I got sober before I started driving. Mm. Um, You know, I've not lost jobs because I was drinking because I didn't have any jobs before I, you know, I got sober and then I started working. Um, So there's a lot of yets for me. There's a lot of booze and drugs that's out there that wasn't out there when I got sober. So there, I've never even drank a wine cooler. <laughs> you know? Um, there's been so many things that have come and gone, and I've never, those are all yets. Mm-hmm. Those are all yets. And, uh, you know, I know for sure, I, I, I know for sure I have another drunk in me. For sure. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I have another recovery in me. That's mm-hmm. what I don't know. I don't know that I would make it back in. My experience is people with a lot of recovery time when they relapse most of them die Mm -hmm. very few make it in and the only ones that i've seen make it in are the ones that allow themselves to be new again and be teachable again Mm -hmm. you know that they don't know everything Mm -hmm. it's very hard to get sober again when you know everything Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And I've had to bury some friends. It really, really stinks, Mm -hmm. you know, watching your friends die from this disease. Yeah. It's it's hard. Mm -hmm. It really is. It really is hard. You know, I lost lost a good friend to this, too. I said one of my close friends um, committed suicide. You know, Mm -hmm. same thing. It was very difficult to do, too. I mean, he was definitely suffered from this disease, too. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's tough to um, to deal with. You know, it's just part. Fortunately, part of the program is we're gonna. There's gonna be a lot of good times. There's gonna be a lot of bad times. If you stick around long enough, you're definitely gonna bury some people while you're here. Some mm-hmm. sober, some not. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's just part of part of the program. You know, and it's it's tough. You see people come and go, and the whole time you're here. And I said right. I could feel the same way if, if I have a lot of. I don't know. I could even do it now if I go out, go drinking. Right. I don't know if I'm humble enough. If I put my ego aside and come back in and get sober again, right. you know, right. to walk back in the room with people. I said, it, it takes a lot of, it takes a lot of, um, courage to come back in after you've gone back out. And it takes, it's, it's not simple. Cause I know my ego would definitely get in the way and I could not right. come back in. Right. Mm-hmm. Some of the magic is gone. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there's you nothing know? like that first time. I, I used to hear that a lot when I went to rehab this last time, there was a woman who had had like eight years and she's like, you can never get that first time back. Like it's, there's something about like the magic of a first recovery. I can't remember exactly what she said, um, but yeah, like it, it's just it's so hard to come back. I've relapsed so many times, and this last time, like I just I knew I was gonna die. Like I had so many instances where I was waking up in the hospital or in jail, and it was like I finally was like I'm gonna die if I keep doing this. And and I would ask God because I, you know, I had been to recovery. I'd gone through the steps. I'd done, you know, I'd been in service. I'd done all these things. You know, obviously never fully surrendering and turning it over so like I'd wake up every morning and be like God please help me be teachable like please help me not know everything because like I'd bristle when people would tell me what to do and it's like I know and I would like pray for that to go away because like I knew I was gonna die if I just kept thinking that and like sometimes it still happens but so much more like rarely than it did before and I know now like when that's happening it's because there's something wrong with me and I need to connect with my higher power again because I can't know everything <laughs> if I do I'll die like <laughs> And, that, and that's true. I mean, you know, like, I I was running the show. Mm-hmm. And we're kind of moving into some different steps with that, I realize. Yeah. I know. It's, 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 right? it's hard to, yeah, it's I hard know. Because, like, we also want to say there is recovery and it gets better and easier. Well, yeah. But we have to learn. I mean, I, I, to, I kind of describe it like this. For me to be teachable, I had to be beat up. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. You know, like, the, the two-by-four. <laughs> I get hit by the two-by-four. And if I don't listen, then the two-by-four is going to become a two-by-eight. Mm-hmm. You know, and then a four by eight or whatever mm-hmm. you know like the boards get bigger and thicker and the and the consequences get heavier and um and I, you know i i know a lot of alcoholics have to be beaten to their knees mm-hmm. you know i only do what i need to do when the pain's great enough i wish mm-hmm. i was different but like i said as anything too it's like i'm still so stubborn at times though i will change when the pain is great enough mm-hmm. i even if i recognize it's a problem i still like just am not ready to let go, mm-hmm. you know, and I'll just keep getting hit in the forehead with a two by four until I'm ready to drop it right. and admit that it's a problem or be willing to work on it. Right. It's amazing how much pain we take sometimes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I guess, you know, for me coming in at a young age, I kind of just say that, you know, I'm a big baby and I can't take the pain. That's an, I'm a big wuss. King, like king baby or something. I, I don't know. There's like a lesson from the big book about that. Like oh, I came from a, a workshopping home group from my first home group, but it, king baby or something that's what we are like we're just king baby like whiny criers yeah and, well <laughs> i'm a big baby that can't take it you know? You know? <laughs> don't tell me that my stepmother was one of the strongest women i ever knew 
And she drank and drank and drank until she was dying from it. Mm-hmm. And just, I, she was in so much pain, not only physically, but mentally. Mm-hmm. You know, you could just see it. And it's just, she was so strong, she died with it, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's why, you know, some people call it the gift of recovery. I joke around and say, you know, I was... I'm just a big baby. I, I can't take it. I can't, you know, I was yep. a bigger wuss, yep. <laughs> you know, and, uh, you know, I'm grateful for it. I really am. I'm grateful that people reached out and, at an early age and said to me what they said. They said, you know, we think you have a problem with drugs and alcohol. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. But when I thought about it, I was like, yeah, you know, every time I drink, I black out and I wake up in strange places and, you know, I get in trouble. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just thought it was called drinking for a long time. I thought that's just what it was like. Normal. Normal. Oh, yeah, like blackouts. That's normal. That's normal. I... And peeing on yourself. Oh, yeah, that's normal. normal. And vomiting and, yeah. you know, all that stuff. That's normal. That's normal. I didn't know that wasn't normal. Yeah, I thought that's what you did when you drank. I didn't, you know what I mean? I'm <laughs> right. like, when you find people don't black out, I'm always just like, who are you? Like, I don't know. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, when I watch someone drink like a half a glass of wine and let it sit on the table. So weird. You know, like, Animals. how do you drink drink a glass of wine and leave it half on it's the table? It's, yeah. Savages. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> same thing. It's a magic same, trick. Same thing when they look at me and I just keep going. They just call me an animal. But I look at them and I'm just like, what are you doing? I don't, you and I don't speak the same the language. The point is to get drunk. <laughs> right. Well, we're using it as a drug, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're using it as a drug and they're using it as a beverage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a huge difference. Yeah. Mm. Still one I cannot recognize. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally beyond me. Yep. I told you, I started drinking coffee about a year ago. Everybody used to joke around and say I wasn't a real AA member because I didn't drink coffee. So I started drinking coffee, and I will I will drink a whole pot at a time. Mm-hmm. You know, like eight cups of coffee. It's delicious. Let alone I get the jitters and stuff like and that. I, it doesn't matter. Well, this is decaf. And this is decaf. I'll drink because I can't have the caffeine because I abused my caffeine privileges. <laughs> and now I can no longer tolerate caffeine. So, you know, but I, I pursue, I continue to pursue my alcoholic behavior. Exactly. <laughs> That's what this morning we went to breakfast after the meeting and everyone was getting coffee and I wanted to join in. But like I pictured myself being jittery and shaky and then like getting that crash right before the podcast I was like I'll save my coffee for before the podcast <laughs> just like how I used to do with alcohol like sometimes yeah. I would like you know you're gonna you're plan out your, gonna plot your day you know yeah. what I mean sometimes there's something I have to get done before I'm hammered so I just gotta show up make an appearance see I don't have a problem yeah. and then also and then in the car me. crack the beer on the way yeah. home and like no problem yeah yeah it's funny. <laughs> and I'd also be like, oh, they probably think I'm not an alcoholic because I didn't drink. Like, I don't, I, I remember having thoughts where I was like, I'm not going to drink at this event because I want to drink at another one and I'd not drink there and be proud of myself for like, and be like, oh, everyone must think highly of me. Like, I don't know, like just weird, insane thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> but you know that the only people that don't see it is us. The yeah. only people we're getting over on is ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, we think we've carried off. And, and, you know, like that nobody knows, mm-hmm. you know, like, oh, yeah, I, I presented so well. Nobody knows. I was on point. You see how marvelous I was? <laughs> <Right>? Exactly. <laughs> the only people that don't know is us. Yeah. You know, most of the time I've, I haven't fooled anybody but me. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah. It was like the last to know. Like I, and I would say I kind of have like a lowish bottom. I wasn't homeless, so maybe it's not a low bottom. Like the first time I came in, I only had one DUI. <laughs> Only. Only. <laughs> and then I'd come in, because the Yetsuka, and then I 
had two more and then I got arrested for assaulting Eddie multiple times and then, like it was like the and then I started ending up in the hospital and in jail like all those yets that they what is it the bedevilments I can't remember the page it was on but whenever I would call my sponsor and say I want to drink she would tell me to read those because of the promises of alcohol and they all came true for me like yeah. those relationships were broken and, and I was ending up in jail as a hospital Hospital institutions, whatever. Yeah. Like it just jails, institutions, and death. Yeah. Like so, that's what I think. In my last relapse, I was like, "Well, I know what's next because this keeps happening. I keep waking up in the hospital or with yeah. another, another charge. Like, <laughs> it just isn't. Yeah. Yeah. And thank God I had. I remember waking up and I wanted to drink so bad because I felt like crap and I had that shame and I just wanted to drink and. But because I'd been coming in and out, I had a fellowship, and the people, Eddie went and got our friends, and we had a game night, and I don't know what it was, but then it was lifted from me, and I haven't really, I mean, of course, I've had, like, cravings and wanting thoughts of alcohol, but, like, I haven't wanted to drink since then, and I'm just so grateful, like, the fellowship is just so important for me, like, to have those people around us that are, we want you to get better. Mm-hmm. It Why is. Why are you smirking? I'm sorry, I'm because <laughs> I was thinking, because you were saying, like, it got to a point where so bad where you were... Um, having altercations with me that we got to the point that when she I'd let her get drunk and I knew she'd be drunk while I was at work and I'd come home and then the idea came that we would I'd start calling the cops to preemptively show up with us <laughs> and so she wouldn't be because I didn't want her to break her parole so she wouldn't go back or she wouldn't have issues or whatever so we would I'd call the cops the cops would show up they'd wake up and then they'd take her away because that was like the better solution I guess but it was just I was smirking over just because I was thinking of that like it happened so much we had like a plan. Oh. <laughs> That's all it was. Sorry. It was. No, no. I think you did a sufficient job of just showing the insanity of our disease. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That was good. And she'd leave, then I'd probably drink. I don't know. I remember you were going to IOP, and then I was drinking I while had to you pick were in you, IOP. Yeah, you wanted me to drop you off at the bar before I went to IOP because <laughs> you were going to get hammered. And so I didn't go to IOP that night because I was like, F this. Yeah, insanity, right? Like, it's still all the about me. Like, Fits are dangerous. I have to just say. Fits are very dangerous. And the insanity is whatever it is, I'm so self-centered. I'm just like, drop me off at the bar. You go to IOP and you can pick me up when I'm smashed on the way home. Yeah. Deal? Deal. Like, you yeah. know what I mean? And not even considering anything about anyone else's feelings. It's still right. all about me and I still couldn't see the insanity with it. You, right. you were so angry. I'm like, I don't understand what's wrong. Like, <laughs> I'm being responsible. Like, so, yeah. <sighs> The insanity. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. This was wonderful. Oh, good. Yeah. It was fun. It was yeah. really, really good. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Uh, are we ending on the we version of the serenity prayer? Yeah, we could do that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Who keeps us sober? God. Oh, grant, grant me the serenity, serenity to, to accept, accept the things, things I cannot change. change. We can't change. The courage to change the things we can and the wisdom to know the difference. difference. One day I'm going to get that right.